Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Welcome back to the Starting a Private Practice podcast, where we're diving into your frequently asked questions about processes. Do I really need them? Is there an easier way? <laughs> what do I do when I get stuck? How do I charge for a missed session or a no-show or cancellations? What if you have room to reschedule? Do I need a discharge policy? Do I really need a disaster plan and, and more? So many good, juicy questions. Yes. So let's dive in. Welcome back to the Starting a Private Practice Podcast. I'm Miranda. And this is Kelly. And we are talking today about the most common questions we get around how to grow your business with less effort. Last episode, we were talking about common themes of how to start your private practice in a way that is easeful for you and your clients from policies and procedures to thinking about client journey and documentation. Yeah. All that sexy stuff that you guys really love. Yes. We love that. (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about the, some of the nitty gritty questions that people come up and some of the issues that they come up against in particular, um, as they are setting their policies and their procedures and their policies. One huge question we get, do I charge for a missed session? But what if I get sick? Is that fair that they lose a session? And shouldn't I offer them a reschedule? Um, All the questions around no shows or late cancellations. Mm -hmm. There's a lot around that. There is. And there, there is. And there's always a lot around this idea of giving back. I don't know how to say it. Like there's a lot around creating dynamics that are really unsustainable. (laughs) Like there's some, some of the questions I've been asked over the years have just been like so intense of like, how could you sustain that? Okay. So here's what I always start with in terms of when you are setting your cancellation policy, you in private practice are not like a restaurant, right? A restaurant takes reservations, but ultimately People can kind of come in and out. You have a reservation that gets you your table usually on time, but there's in a great restaurant, there are other people kind of waiting at the door. And if you don't show up, they're filling up that table. They're not leaving a table empty for a a ton of time for a successful um, restaurant. You are more like a daycare. You are more like a childcare center. You have 12 12 kids that you're allowed, this is California law, right? (laughs) You you can have 12 kids and that with a helper and that's it, right? You can't have 14. You can't have, you know, you can't have 15. You can have less than that, but there's a specific max and some regulations. And so your practice is set up for a certain amount of clients. And when you are setting that up, you're setting your fee kind of based on that right? You're setting the, your fee usually based on that being full or relatively full. Same thing with your daycare. Hey, here are my expenses. Here's what my income needs to be. I need to put away some stuff for 
vacation and retirement and, and emergencies and all of that. And so you use all that data to set what the fee is per child. Now that your expenses don't change because that parent went on vacation for a month during the year mm -hmm. that your expenses don't change because somebody got sick. You can't just have generally a different kid come off the street for that one day or that one hour mm -hmm. to come into your daycare. And that's kind of the same thing in your private practice, right? You are not in a place where you can just bring in a ton of clients. And what I see happen for a lot of therapists who do try to kind of create that dynamic is they end up having a lot of clients and they actually can't serve them well. So they say, well, you know, about 30% of my clients cancel. So I go ahead and I, I really only want to see, let's say 20 clients a week, but I have 40 clients on my caseload of varying things that I'm trying to get in. And then when some, but then sometimes when they're in crisis, I can't actually get them in. There's not room. And so there's all of these kind of weird dynamics that happen and energetically, it's a lot to have 40 people that you're kind of tied to in this way that we are when we're doing therapy with them. So I think this place of, of really realizing what are those numbers, what does that look like? If you have 10% of your caseload who are um, canceling on a, on a weekly basis, right? So that's just one or two right? Depending on what you're, you're, how many people you're seeing, one or two people that are canceling. And if you are not giving them, um, if you're not having them pay for those sessions, you are doing one of two things. You're either losing out on 10% of your profit every single year. We're not talking, there's not a ton of expenses after a certain point. This is just pure profit. You're losing out on 10% of that, which is probably your vacation fund, your retirement fund, you know, your emergency fund, sickly all those fund. things, your sickly fund, or you are having to increase your fees by 10%, right? So all of the other people who are coming in are kind of taking, taking up the slack, absorbing the, cost. absorbing the cost for the people that are canceling on a regular basis. Yeah. Right. So those are some of the things that I kind of have in my flow. And that leads me to this um, 48 hours at minimum of a cancellation. I have the, I always have the ability, which I don't document, but I know that I have it. If somebody is really sick or there's some kind of emergency that I can make decisions if I wish on the fly in terms of rescheduling them for later that same week or doing a virtual session or waiving that fee altogether. But I need to be able to create a business that's sustainable enough that that waiving of the fee in those, you know, kind of very limited circumstances don't create a sense of frustration for me or a sense of financial insecurity, right? That doesn't think, work for me. I think this is really important. And this is why when I see people go on Facebook groups and ask what other clinicians do, for their policy around late cancellations or no-shows. Mm -hmm. You don't know the privileges of that other clinician. You don't know if they don't really need the income. Yes. You don't know if they are a single parent of several children. You, you just don't know their situation. 
So this is where you're creating a business based upon your life and your privileges and how you want to use them. Some of you may be okay not charging and that 10% is so far and few between, it doesn't impact you. And others of you, it's a huge impact. And there is no judgment for one or the other. This is again about creating a business that fits into your life, Mm -hmm. that allows you to feed yourself, clothe yourself, house yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. so that you are taken care of so that you can also not just do great work, but also enjoy your life in tandem. So when you're asking about other people, just keep that in mind and then start looking at your own life and where, where do you feel you can do and give and take without resentment entering into the therapeutic relationship. And I think that plays too. I remember initially I had the 24 hour cancellation policy and it felt good to me, but I saw I'd had really heavy days on Mondays and Wednesdays. And I started to have this thing that on Sundays, I would start to get pings on my cell phone and get texts Mm -hmm. for canceling. And they were at like, 23 minutes and a half or 23 hours and a half, you know what I mean? Or they were right at like 24 hours and a few minutes. It was almost like when the reminder would go out from the EHR of the 24 hour reminder, they would go, oh yeah. And it wasn't like, oh, I just remembered I was sick. It would be like, I forgot to tell you last week, (laughs) I have plans or I'm going on vacation or what have you. Even though that was something, you know, hey, See you next week. Yeah, we're good. Right. So I started to feel resentful from it. And so that it just didn't feel good. It made my Sundays not feel good. Right. And to be able to say like, no, it needs to be 48 hours or it needs to be by Friday at five because my practice was full and I created my fee, you know, at that time in particular, I think my spouse was my former spouse not working, um, going to school. I had a young child. I didn't have a lot of wiggle room in terms of finances. Even that, like my finances were set to take care of us and to do the things that were needed to like, you know, pay our very minimal mortgage and childcare and all the rest of it. But that wasn't even submitting to retirement. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was just kind of getting by at that point in some ways Um, because of some of the dynamics um, with my former spouse and my child. So, you know, it wasn't too much to ask to say, oh, that that doesn't work for me. Let me tweak it. There is this other question that comes up around this topic in terms of, but if I can reschedule them, then I won't charge them. And the reason I struggle with that mentality is it doesn't feel equitable. So if I'm a client of yours at the beginning of the week, and I cancel last minute, I have an opportunity to reschedule more so than the person at the end of the week. And that doesn't feel equitable to me, that just because a person has a different day or time, they have less opportunity to be served by you in the same way. And that's my own personal kind Mm -hmm. of stance on that. Of Sometimes I'll hear a clinician say, well, I reserve part of my last day for reschedules. But what about a client that's 
cancels on that day. Where do they go? They have nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you can't reschedule, but I want you to just be aware of that practice can create inequities amongst your clients. Mm -hmm. One of the tests that we often give is if all your clients got in a room mm. together, are they getting the same therapist? And they talked about their experience, their fee, their like policies, how the relationship would, would it be coherent and cohesive? Or even the energy level. Yeah. When I was in, um, when I was in college, I had this teacher, he's a statistics teacher, Dr. Curl. And I, I knew he was a hard teacher. I'd heard about him. And he was, but I found him to be so hilarious and energetic and he was a great teacher, but I had friends who took him. They're like, oh, it's the worst. It's just, oh my gosh. I don't, I don't even know how you stay awake in his class. And I was like, how could you fall asleep? This man is running from one side of the room and he's going, he's running out of room on the chalkboard and he's running across to get to another chalkboard and he's so dynamic. And then this one time he um, had something wrong with his car. So he brought in a recording of him teaching at six in the morning. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was like a completely different man. I went, Oh, this is what it is. You have a, you're taking Dr. Curl, you're taking the same teacher, but this is not the same man at 6am versus 6.30 PM. Yeah. This is a completely different human. It was a completely different teaching style. And he had to even stay in like a little box because he couldn't move at that time, you know, in terms of the thing. So he was just writing on this little piece of whatever. And I was just like, oh, so what does that look like for you in your clinical practice? Do you have people that you're on the end of the day and you're just kind of like, oh, when, when is that, you know, somebody cancels, you're like, oh, thank God, I just need to go home. I'm exhausted. What does that look like? Another question that we get is around discharge policy. And if you have to have one, <clears throat> and I wanted to talk about this um, on the podcast, because I don't think it's something business coaches often address, but it is important to me because I like to, from the beginning, inform my clients what ending with me looks like. It's either you decide that you no longer, that treatment has been helpful, that you no longer want to continue, and we have an ending. The other ways that it could happen is that they stop coming to their sessions. But when do I stop my relationship with them? When, when am I no longer their clinician? And I like to be clear about that. That just because you haven't been here in five weeks doesn't mean that your slot still exists with me if I haven't received communication. So mm -hmm. having a discharge policy can really help them understand when things end, when maybe their slot is no longer theirs. Mm -hmm. um, and it also can ease clinicians' minds because we have met many a clinician who has never really closed a chart on any of their clients. Mm -hmm. And so they have a roster of like 80 people, mm -hmm. but they never know really who's gonna come in that week. Mm -hmm. And that is really stressful. If it works for you, I would love to hear how, but I really want to challenge the thought of, Miranda had talked about this before, about closure and documentation, mm -hmm. how, how documentation can give us closure and the same with discharging. So for me, it was, if you miss two sessions in a row with no communication, I do call after each session that's missed and I will send an email. And then I'll send a letter 
just in case that didn't reach you. And then for an additional two weeks after that, then I closed the, the chart and I'm no longer your clinician. You're no longer active on my roster. Mm-hmm. And I think that place of knowing that works or even like for me, I didn't feel comfortable sending letters and it comes from my domestic violence right. um, training background. And because I saw a lot of people that were traumatized, that idea of, I don't know, your situation may have changed. And that may be the reason that you don't have access to those phone yeah. calls or what have you. And so, uh, but again, that was part of my informed consent. And I would document that clearly in the case notes, like, here's how this, here's how this works. And I would leave them a voicemail if it felt comfortable of like, and again, every, every situation is a little bit different, but I knew what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I had reasoning and it was easy for me to put that in my documentation. So again, if somebody said, Hey, you drop care. And actually, this is the funny part that I think comes up a lot, which is if I change my fee, if I um, change my schedule, or if I want to refer a client out, am I abandoning my client? Mm-hmm. Right. So this, this kind of ties into this idea too, of like, what does it look like to close a client versus abandon a client? What does it look like to change versus abandoning a client? abandoning client is like client comes knocks on the door and like there's nobody there like what's going on or they're calling you and there's your voicemail says you're available and you don't return their phone call for four weeks or what have you and they're like that's abandonment but abandonment is not closing someone out and saying hey our work is done abandonment is not setting a boundary and saying hey you've missed six out of our last eight sessions Giving this it, is I'm not, gonna give you some referrals. Yeah, I'm gonna give you some referrals because there's something about this that isn't working. Maybe it's the location, maybe it's the timing, maybe it's our relationship, but like this isn't getting you where you need to be. Like all of those things, like us being able to change. Because I, I do think even when you're describing, like, oh, we could like client could say, I don't like this anymore. I'm done. That could end therapy you could decide together, wow, this was great. We're done. We're taking a break. And that could happen. They could just drop out. And also you could say, you know what? I'm done. This, it, this isn't feeling good. And for a variety of different reasons. Like, Whoa, that's a big, I, think, <laughs> I think we need to sit there for a second because a lot of people, because of that fear of abandonment, because of everyone is going to, people throw around the word ethical obligation. Yeah. in this like I'm ethically bound to continue to see this person actually you're ethically bound to provide referrals you're ethically bound to cause no harm and if that relationship is not working for you that's going to cause harm to the therapeutic relationship and it is in the best interest of the client that you refer out and but it's uncomfortable for so many of us I don't think I was really ever trained how to end relationships. I had to fumble my way through it and a lot of get a lot of supervision around it, clinical consultation around sometimes when it was not, I was not the therapist for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that ability to have those hard conversations 
it's really powerful. It can be really reparative for that individual, for someone to say like, Hey, I, I, even that idea of like, I have enough love for this person, right? Maybe I'm not, not in love with romantic love with my clients. Right. Um, maybe there are clients that I don't like, but I have enough like care, compassion, love for this other human to say, I know this isn't what therapy is supposed to feel like. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to feel like this. It's not supposed to look like this. And they don't know any better. This might actually be replicating these dynamics of how they do relationships in other areas and that they don't really ever have anybody that's like fully aligned with them. So what would it be like for me to create space for them to be like fully aligned? And I think when what often happened previously, like we're in practicum and internship, and then we go from like different jobs to job is that our termination was when we left our position, right? I'm leaving. And in some cases we took those people with us. And then we, at the same pay at like the $20 where this nonprofit was getting a $3 million grant. Now you're getting $20 in, you know, and which is like, six dollars after taxes you know per hour or what have you something ridiculous thing after taxes and expenses like i'm pulling these people here and i feel this obligation to not change anything to not increase their fee to have all the same policies and procedures that there were before to continue working with this person again even if there's not even progress being made y'all the amount of therapists that i've talked to where they have been able to say I don't see any progress, but I feel guilty and ashamed at saying that and referring this person out. They have gone even into consultants and into supervision and the supervisor says, yeah, it sounds like it's time to refer out. And they still are kind of carrying this sense of like, that's wrong. We are here to say it's not wrong. I would, we would argue that to stay is actually not realistic because we are not preparing our clients for change. If we change nothing in our businesses, if we don't evolve, if our policies don't shift, if our fee doesn't shift, that's not reality for them in outside of the world. In their other relationships, change is constantly happening. Mm -hmm. And the more you fight that, the more that you're creating an unrealistic relationship. Mm-hmm. therapy by itself is already a little bit unreal <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> with like how it is the the dynamic and exchange of support mm-hmm. but to never change does not prepare them for how to handle change in relationships outside of that room I think it's also <laughs> it's funny I was um I was out um, doing acro yoga with some new people and we're talking about this overlap of navigating relationships and how much I've learned about relationships and communication through doing agri yoga. And this gal came up and said, Hey, can I, can I play? Like, do you have space? And I said, actually, like, we're having kind of this moment. We're kind of in the middle of something like I can come and check in with you later, but like, no, not right now. She's like, Oh, okay. And then the, you know, she went on and found someone else to play with. And the two women that were there were like, Oh my gosh, like, you just navigated that, like, like, oh, like they were just trying to imagine themselves being able to 
say no, or not right now, or maybe later. And part of what's happening as you navigate these difficult conversations with your clients or these uncomfortable conversations is you're modeling for them that like, this is okay. You're giving them a model. You're, you're being a mentor. You're being this space where they're like, oh, I didn't like that, but they did it with still love and respect and kindness. Like maybe I was uncomfortable, but maybe if they could say no in, in a loving and caring way, but, but clear, maybe I could do the same. Yeah. Right. Okay. One last question and then we'll probably wrap it up, but there have been questions around, do I really need a disaster plan? Hmm. We kind of touched on it in the last podcast about, you know, in California, we're not going to necessarily plan for hurricanes. I mean, maybe with global warming, we will, <laughs> but at this point we plan for earthquakes here. We mm-hmm. plan for fires here. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Texas, ice storms, sometimes snowstorms, sometimes hurricanes, Florida, you know, every area, every country region has their own natural disasters, but then there's also other kinds of disasters that can happen. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen people have their practices where there's been mass shootings, um, all sorts of tragedies. Yeah. Where offices have burnt down, homes have burnt down. Yes. Like there's a lot. This does really happen. And I think that a little bit of preparedness can give you a lot of ease in your practice. We have Mm -hmm. whole lessons on this in our business school. I mean, but I want to touch on it to say that tragedy does happen. Um, Even we talk about like having a professional will because we have had clinicians pass with no plan and the clients that have felt abandoned because there's nothing, there's no support in what to do or where to go. Mm-hmm. So preparing again is another way to care for your clients and to think ahead. I will also say that nothing can fully prepare you for disasters. You may have, you know, we've had clients going through a hurricane while their other client is going, their clients are going through hur- the hurricane, you know, mm-hmm. so you're in a shared, that's happened with COVID, right? You're in a shared traumatic experience, which requires even more um, compassion and, and taking care of the self. Mm-hmm. But when you have some things in place for your business, for, from like insurance policies to having that EHR so that you know things are in the cloud and not in a file cabinet burning. We have had that happen um, with people. It does really make a difference. And we encourage you not to be anxious and fearful, but just to be thoughtful in your planning. Yeah. And and I think that was, it's been so interesting over this, this last few years. Like we've been teaching the importance of, of an EHR, um, for especially for emergency preparedness and all of these other things and being able to do virtual sessions for those pieces. And we've had a lot of people that are like, I will never do that. And then the COVID happens. They're like, oh crap, I really need to do that. So it's it has forced some of this issue. But I think what's been really lovely about that is that so many people are on the other side going, oh, I really thought that this was impossible. I really thought that I wasn't capable or that this wasn't going to 
make my life easier. And a lot of people are on the other side going, oh, I actually, I found that there's some things that I really liked that I wasn't expecting. Um, so give yourself some space to try some things out and to create something that's really sustainable for you and your practice and to, you know, create something that really does take care of your clients, even when you're not available. Well, this is fun. Woo! Our next episode, you're going to get to hear us do a little bit of coaching around building and starting your practice with less effort and how to work through some of the stuck places when it comes to all this non-sexy material yet essential stuff. And I still say it's sexy. I I agree. But <laughs> She's lying. <laughs> it is exciting to me because I know that clients benefit and it's yeah. better outcomes, but still it's, it takes a while to get to that place. Yeah. So we'll join with our coaching client next week and we'll see you then. Bye y'all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of starting a private practice podcast. We hope that you got some of your questions answered around processes. We know that you may have more. Don't worry. We've got you covered in our business school for therapists. Go to zinnime.com forward slash pod to learn more about business school and some awesome freebies we have just for this, you, you as a subscriber to our podcast. Next week, we're going to be diving into a coaching session with Dr. Corey Goldberg. And we're going to hear how processes in real life, how they can make your life a little better or a little bit worse. So um, Corey is sharing some more details of her life and her practice. And I think you're going to have some amazing ideas and um, insights on how to make your private practice better. Yeah. So we'll see, see you next, next time. time. I hope you love today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.